Incoming transmission. The Klingonese word of the day is Pak. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper. and welcome to the computer resume podcast imagine with me for a moment if you will a level of fandom beyond that which is known to casual trekkers it is a dimension not only of sight and words but of mind it is a middle ground between civilians and savants it is an area known as your local comic book retailer you've just crossed over into the comic book zone And I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. All right, folks, this is where I would normally do an intro incorporating a bunch of factoids about the guest's life and career, but then I'd be spoiling his new book. It's Michael LeBlanc! Yay! Michael! (laughs) It's me! (laughs) Oh, man. Dude, it's been a a roller coaster over these uh, last few months of just being excited for myself and seeing, I mean, you mentioned it, I got a new book. So I'm like, people are like holding up pictures of like the new book and everything like that. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, the, uh, I mean, so, so let's, let's, let's flash back to, uh, we were covering an episode of enterprise. Yeah. Seems like a year ago, maybe, or it's gotta be, uh, it's gotta be yeah. like, Probably about a year and a half because uh, you okay. gave me the idea and then I dived into it. Into yeah. November. So, uh, you know, in that conversation, because I've told this story to a couple of people off mic, of course, but the funny part about it was, was you were recommended to me. I had a guest who who couldn't make it and they, mm. and they would try to, Hey, I know this person, then this person, and this person, they, they're all big Star Trek fans. And one of them was you. And so I was like, I reached out to you. We connected, we got it scheduled. You come on the show and, you know, we walked through the whole thing. And, uh, before we started to roll, you were like, Hey, uh, just, be- you know, before we get going, I had a question about Archer's ready room. He's got those pencil drawings on the wall. I said, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, is one of those, the aircraft carrier enterprise? I was like, yeah. And, and you said, I thought I recognized my ship and it just <laughs> uh, squeal a screeching tires. I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on what do you mean? And you're just like, yeah, I was an engineer. I was like, you didn't think to lead with that. <laughs> yeah. It was at that moment. I, I realized that I had a talent for burying leads. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that was a good uh, moment for myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, and of course now I consider us great friends. Uh, yeah. You've been on the show quite a few times. I can't wait for the day where we actually get to <laughs> meet each other in person and right. go get some food and, uh, you know, give each other a big old hug. But, uh, you know, how how has this been for you uh, taking these events that shaped who you are and putting them down on paper and putting them out in the world? Like, how, how is uh, what what's the highs? What's the lows? Well, according to my therapist, this is the most cathartic thing I could have ever done. Uh, She's pretty happy about that. Um, 
And now it's, um, it really was a very cathartic experience. It turns out that there were a lot of things that had happened to me, you know, cause I was, I was in 19 to 23. It was in a, when I was in the military mm-hmm. and people don't really, at that time, they weren't really saying it, but now with the advent of like uh, social media, people kind of agree that we're not done growing by that point. Like society wants us to be, they want us to be the adults going out there and getting things done. Of course. So all these things were happening to me, newly married, uh, going into the military, not doing well in the military, uh, just a lot of stress happening at the time, mm-hmm. uh, uh, depression, a whole bunch of things that were coming together. And the only way that I was able to stave them off was either like get lost in video games or, you know, try to spend some time with my wife and just kind of forget about the world. Right. Or as the title suggests, you know, D&D in the coffin hold of the USS Enterprise, I was trying to find nerdy escapes in places that you don't normally think nerdy escapism happens yeah exactly and so i i didn't process any of that i just lived it and i I kept it inside of me and it was causing it was causing some i i guess i would call it inferiority uh complexes to grow to grow inside me because it's like oh man i messed up so bad back then there's no way i'm going to be able to climb above that station Mm. and so putting all this down on paper i I began to realize uh, i was a kid I was a kid and I was handling things. And so since then, uh, not only does my therapist think that this was incredibly helpful and thanks you for the advent of the idea for uh, getting this on paper, but I've also reached out to the VA and said, hey, uh, you know, they're, they're reaching out to people right now too, saying like, even if you got other than honorable, you may still be entitled to medical compensation. And I was like, well... I had all this. It was other than honorable. It's a paperwork discharge, basically. Can I still, uh, you know, can we talk? It's like, you should write a letter explaining the fact on what happened to you and everything like that. And I'm, we feel like you've got a case to get some stuff overturned. So wonderful. Yeah, it's been it's been amazing. And it, it all got done over a year, you know, like once once I did that, that first draft in November last year. And here I am heading into November again, thinking about a first draft of a wildly different book. Uh, but it's, it's just been wild. And, uh, thank you for, for the, the beginning seeds of what has grown into a very, very fun, uh, bonsai tree to trim and shape and present to the world. Yeah. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about, uh, the writing part, the writing process, the creative process, filmmaking, uh, a lot of different endeavors where you're, you're getting something from your brain onto whatever medium you've chosen. Mm. Uh, but most of those people will say that the real shaping of the project actually comes in the editing process. Now, oh, I know God, yeah. you, you mentioned your first draft. How many drafts did you end up having? And what was it like rehashing, reshaping, rewording this this very pivotal time of your life? Well, by the fourth draft, I thought I had it. I was like, all right, I've got all the the spelling mistakes out of the way. I like the way the structure went. I was going with a footnote type thing. Uh, and I was like, this is going to be it. This is, it's it's not going to get any better than this. And then like, I'd give it out to some people. Like a lot of people saw a lot of different versions of my draft yourself included, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and after every full read, after I would head it out and what I would do, I had Microsoft Word read it to me. Because if you, you if you read it yourself, your brain's gonna put things there that aren't there, like the right pro, pro, uh, 
punctuation. There's the word. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the right punctuation, uh, sentence structure, all that. Your brain's going to just mold it so it feels good. But if you have something or somebody reading it to you, you'll hear every glaring problem. So um, I think I uh, all together up until uh, the beginning of September, mm-hmm. it was 10 times that I had Microsoft read every version to me. Um, and then eventually uh, I realized printing was going to be a problem with some of my choices. So we moved the footnotes to actual blurbs in the middle of paragraphs, which I think reads wonderfully now. Yeah. Um, and I, in that time, I had people able to get some artwork at the beginning and end of the book, which I think just encaps the the entire experience wonderfully. Oh, yeah. uh, had somebody help work with my title because uh, not my title, my cover because. I'll be honest with you. Uh, there are things that I know that I'm artistically limited in. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, I knew some people who made good covers. So um, between having Microsoft just read me in that robotic language over and over again, and then just like talking with people like, hey, can you give me this art? Can you give me this art? What can I give you if you if you want this art? Do you want a free book? Do I pay you for this? Um, and all in all, you know, it was a, a small village. To get that together but that that process of really what 10 months before i was able to finally hit publish yeah uh i'll be honest with you for a first book i think that's kind of a whirlwind's pace (laughs) yeah as you know there's there's people who spend years if not a big chunk of their life trying to document and edit and add to and all all of these things to try to get that book done you know yeah and the fact that you were able first of all the fact that you completed it sets sets you in a class apart from that's what they keep telling me (laughs) yeah yeah i was gonna i'd venture to guess at least 90 percent of most people (laughs) and and then the fact that um you know not only did you finish it but now it is available for sale i I, that's got to set you in a class above a class above so yeah uh, again congratulations thank you uh i can't wait to to crack open my copy and and dive in as you know as somebody who's talked with you a lot and who was there for the initial spark of the idea. Uh, I, I'm really, I'm really anxious to, uh, to get into that final product. So let's, let's shift a little bit here because we are here to talk about Star Trek. Yes. Uh, <laughs> in addition Inter- to promoting, to promoting your wonderful work, we're also going <laughs> to talk about Star Trek a little bit. Um, but today, in case uh, any of the listeners hadn't gathered, we're actually going to be talking about something different. This is, Uh, A new territory for us, uh, but it was one of the things that when I first sat down and made plans for this show, this was something I wanted to do. And now we are finally getting to do it here at the end of, uh, well, technically this is a, this is a chapter after the end of uh, season six of the Computer Resume podcast, but we are discussing our first comic book entry into the chronology. Uh, Star Trek Discovery Aftermath. So, Michael, let me ask you, have you read many comics and have you read many Star Trek comics? Uh, The most Star Trek comics I have read were uh, Next Generation comics that Ryan had laying around his bedroom when I visited his uh, house one time. Yeah. And he had uh, he had a couple of like just straight up TNG Mm -hmm. and then TNG and X-Men which 
Yes. Well, it was a, it was a wild story, but they made it work <laughs> yeah, as, as much as they could on paper. Um, and other than that, uh, I've, I've had, uh, a good bit of civil war red, both, uh, in my hands and also some PDFs that we would share together, you know, um, uh, growing up, you know, just here's a bulky flash drive with a few comic books on them. Right. Right. And, but, uh, I, but when I was, uh, even younger than that, read a lot of spawn. Really? Yeah. yeah what what you, how, how do you, how do you feel about, uh, Todd McFarlane's spawn? I, <laughs> I still love it. Uh, the, the intro for me was, was revelatory of this, uh, you know, it was the first time I really got to sink my teeth into uh, an antihero, yeah. and and you know, the, as dark and as gruesome as it was, uh, you know, it wasn't something that I had really, you know, messed with all that much. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the the <laughs> the main character being just aptly named the Violator, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, all right. There's a tone to this comic book. I think I can, I think I can understand. <laughs> and uh, I used to draw uh, uh, versions of Spawn like all the time. Uh, not well, yeah, not well, but yeah. Um, no, I, I really enjoyed it. And so, like the the various versions that have come out over the years. I mean, the movie was okay. Um, yeah. The uh, the the various retellings because Spawn takes place like like a multi dimensional multi timeline arc. Yeah, and so it's it's really wild to just all these years just pick up like even like a relatively new one and be like you know the the feel is still the same but there's there the line work is better. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah for sure. I you know it's fun you know if anybody if anybody out there is hearing this and has not heard or read has not heard of or read Todd McFarlane's Spawn. It's, uh, you know, the story in short is Todd McFarlane was working for, I believe, Marvel and, along with a few other creators yeah. who were kind of upset at, uh, as Todd McFarlane puts it, the suits uh, who don't know how to make comics, making the decisions for the yeah. creatives who actually do the work. Uh, so uh, he, along with a few other um, superstars at this point. Uh, broke away and created the company image uh, and they had a handful of titles when they first started up one of which of course was spawn yeah and if you're if you're interested highly recommend checking out the first hundred issues of spawn <laughs> yeah. because it's kind of that that's that real that's todd mcfarlane's arc that that you know i mean there's a few other writers and uh, you know were there and of course the art changed hands a couple times greg capullo was very influential um in that series as well but it is a real slice of the 90s into the early 2000s yeah. uh anti-hero it was very um it was very unique and you know when the the movie came along in 97 it was it was, uh, you know, there at the beginning, long before the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yeah, long before uh, Chris Nolan's Batman series. Uh, you know, you know, there was there was Todd McFarlane's spot, which, which amazing, which is amazing, considering for how young Image Comics was to get a movie off of yeah. uh, off a story that they were, you know, basically was leading the charge for uh-huh. Image, oh, and yeah. um, now it was. The, 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 I think I got into like the first like 40, 45 before it just got to the point where it was harder for me to find, 
Right. So like I pick I picked up like stories later, but yeah, it was it it was something so different. And you know, there there's been times where I've like listened to Todd McFarlane talk about his process, and they were talking about you know, hey, I noticed that you drew this differently between panels. You know, one pouch was on one hip on the other side, then it switched on the other. You know, it, what's up with that? You know, glaring incontinuity. He's like, uh, the suit's alive. And then he went with it. He's like, you know, what? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> take take inspiration from wherever you can find it. And I'm like, dude, I I I, I fuck with that. That's that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, he's he's a uh, you know. There's a lot of different opinions about Todd McFarland. Uh, you know his uh, his personal thoughts and his political mm -hmm. beliefs and all this, that, and the other thing. But at the end of the day, Spawn is a big chapter in yeah. the history of comic books now getting back into uh star trek specifically <laughs> pivot yeah yeah getting back <laughs> into the star trek comics uh the star trek comics have had an interesting uh history as well mm. uh a lot of it uh told through uh alan j porter's book uh, Star Trek, a comics history. If there's anybody out there who's interested mm. in comics and their history, specifically the Star Trek comics, I highly, highly recommend picking up his book. He breaks down everything and it is, it is a fascinating look. Um, but getting into this, this is obviously, you know, we're talking about discovery. Mm -hmm. Uh, so this is new Trek. So this is in the age where, um, IDW has the license and when IDW got the license they they also got a lot of the um ankle weights uh taken off a lot of the shackles were removed um sure. you know Alan's book really details a lot of the restrictions and you know to be honest you can just look at the artwork and see where the restrictions were of like oh they could it, it was Captain Kirk and Spock and her and the whole gang however they didn't have the rights for the actor's likeness. So yeah. you can call them those characters, but they can't look <laughs> anything like them, <laughs> which is understandably confusing. Yeah. Um, you know, but th with this, uh, with this particular story, we've got writers who are working on the show involved in the process when, when uh, the uh, very, and you wonderful... felt it too. You felt oh it. yeah. Yeah. It, it really does come across when Heather Antos, who's the uh, editor for Star Trek over there at IDW came on the show. She kind of gave me the overview of like, yeah, I'm getting the scripts very early and we are making sure that nice. these things are in line so that the, so that the comics feel like the shows. And I'm like, first of all, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause that's been an issue for a long, long time. Uh, but yeah, th this is, uh, this is a really interesting, uh, a really interesting sort of postscript to season two of discovery, you know, season two ends in a big, huge battle between uh, the enterprise and discovery mm -hmm. and, you know, them facing off against artificial intelligence control right. where, and section 30 artificial intelligence, which has taken control of section 31. And it is, it is a bonkers bonkers yeah. final chapter to that to that season um just giving overviews staying fairly free of spoilers how did mm -hmm. this how did this hit you on on your first read these these three issues of uh star trek star trek discovery aftermath uh i think it was for me i felt like it was needed because 
uh, they had they had opened up uh, a few cans of worms, not not just one, a few, mm. and uh, you know the the contents were left to be you know thought about, maybe even you know, uh, uh, you know dreamed about, depending on how you know deep you were into it, but. Yeah this book addressed some of those things. And I thought, I, I thought it was, I thought it was really needed. Uh, the, the, the character arcs that kind of set up for later to mm. like the, the tone for, uh, uh, for strange new worlds and whatnot, because having seen strange new worlds and then going back and reading this, I felt like it, it didn't feel like anything was being shoehorned. I felt like everything fit together and that was great. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. You know, uh, and I've, I've said this, a couple of people have talked to me about, hey, I haven't watched Star Trek and I really want to get in. Um, my first thing is, well, I've got a podcast I can recommend to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but when I do uh, inevitably recommend probably newer Trek, I feel like newer Trek is very accessible for folks who have not seen any Star Trek. Mm -hmm. um, and I recommend Discovery. I said, look, you can do one of two things. You can either watch Discovery from beginning to where it currently is which as of this recording is four seasons we're yeah. fifth, the fifth season's coming out very soon um or you can watch season one and two and then jump to strange new worlds yeah but i feel like if you choose season one and two to strange new worlds there is that gap like we see pike sort of back in the chair of yep. the enterprise and okay, discovery's gone and all right, let's head home. And we see a little bit of a debrief and that whole thing. But when we catch up with Pike at season one, episode one of strange new worlds, yeah, he's got a beard, like <laughs> things have happened and we're like, wait, 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 we must've missed something. Now this series doesn't address everything, not everything but, no. but it is a nice bridge from discovery into strange new worlds, getting to wrap up a couple of things, specifically a lot of the political dealings with the Klingons. Yeah. And I, I thought that was one thing that was really addressed very well in discovery was Yes, they are a warrior race, but there's politics, there's backhand deals, um, yeah. there's, you know, quite literally stabbing in the back uh, yeah. sometimes. And, and to be honest, with Discovery Season 1, spending a good chunk of time in the Mirror Universe, you know, to see the Klingon Empire have all this infighting and all this stuff uh, going yeah. on, and really, uh, Laurel... Uh, we've we've not held back our love for Laurel on this show, really kind of spearheading, um, you know, the move to actually join the Federation. Yeah. Uh, any any thoughts about that before we get into spoiler territory? Uh, it's nice to see, like you were saying, to see the the layers of the Klingons mm -hmm. that other shows have have dabbled in, mm -hmm. but it's always more of like it, it, they don't show it as as something that's ingrained they always kind of show oh this person doesn't want war he's he's an offshoot he's he he's he's way out left field we don't really think about him too much in fact let's throw him in a penal colony um yeah <laughs> uh but this one right here you know the, the the way that discovery showed that you know war was war is always on the surface but there's so much more underneath 
and you're and you're right to to say you know we got love for Lorel because as much as the Klingon Empire has layers, she's representative of all of them as like one person. You can see like all of it just kind of balancing there on one character, yeah. and so even when you know she's she's being her most absolute Klingon self. You can also see the person who wants to to sympathize and wants to be part of that greater universe all at the same time. It's such a balancing act. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I I still love that they uh, that they call her mother, and she de- yeah. she demanded the title of mother because of its fierce power. But I think, yeah. uh, you know, b- being a a guy <laughs> with with no children, <laughs> um, I think another important part of that parental figure is wanting a better life for your child. Yeah. Uh, you know, wanting peace, wanting happiness, wanting prosperity. And the fact that Laurel sees that within the Federation and wanting that for her people while at the same time remaining 100% Klingon. Yeah. It's you're absolutely right. It is a tough balancing act. And I think uh, this, you know, we get to see some really great interactions between Pike and Spock, but yeah, I think the stuff with Laurel is really, really what good. takes. Yeah, it really takes uh, center focus here. Well, we've we've hinted at a couple things. We've talked about a, a few others, but mm-hmm. uh, before we go too much further, let's get to this week's recap. Brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters: Rev J, Jerry Antimano, Cosmic Crit, Kitty B, David Willett, Ed Milner. And Fleet Admiral First Class Fred Sims and Ren. Spoiler alert. Folks, it's a comic book. Go read it. Go on. Go. Go. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> we <laughs> love that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I, I thought that, would, that would be fun. Uh, so, yeah, so let's get into this. Uh, you know, you mentioned something when we were talking about uh, you and your experiences within the military of, you know, not feeling sure of yourself and mm. being in a very uh, not only stressful place, but a confusing place and oh, yeah. being, uh, you know, <laughs> in the Navy, a fish out of water. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, I feel like a lot of that. Uh, is very similar to how Spock feels throughout season two of Discovery. And we kind of get a little bit of that here as he's coming to the end of that journey, the end of yeah. that, the end of that trek, if you will, um, yeah. where he's he's coming out of this fog of dealing with the Red Angel mm-hmm. um, and really seeing, OK, I'm not crazy. And but I, I'm not fully reinvested in Starfleet. Hence, he has the beard. He doesn't yep. wear he doesn't wear the uniform, which Laurel points out. Yeah. yeah. Um, did, did you did you identify with Spock at all? Uh, you know, seeing what he's going through juxtaposed to what uh, you went through in your service. Did you did you see yourself in Spock at all? Well, one of the great things about the way that they presented him in that is i think that a lot of people can i i I mean i definitely could yeah to answer your question um because there were there were times while i was in the military uh where uh there were personal problems at home Mm -hmm. and 
uh, unfortunately, I, I couldn't go hide uh, at, at home for a while and then wait for the, the, the Navy to come knock on my door with a comm badge and like, come on. Uh, but yeah. instead, I was forced to, to go back on the ship. But I was I felt like I was in that same kind of fog while I'm on the ship. And if you're if you're there and you're trying to do what they want you to do, which for me was to uh, it was called qualifying. I had to basically learn new watch stations uh, to be a better uh, nuclear operator until eventually I, I sit at the top of the qualification chain, which is nuclear reactor operator. Yeah. Uh, dude, I'm in, I'm in that fog. I'm constantly thinking about everything else. And on top of the, the fact that I feel like, you know, that no way to dice it. I thought I, thought I was a failure. And so why even try, you know, and then, right. you know, there were times where I felt like the steps would eventually stack up to the point where I could climb up and do what I had to do. But those moments are so far and fleeting. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah. I, you know, something else that kind of struck me, uh, you know, we, we've talked about some of the story elements, but one mm-hmm. of the wonderful things about this literature is it is also a visual medium very much uh, and you know with new trek uh you know new one of the things that i think hit people and it hit people some people really dug it there were a lot of people who didn't was <laughs> the fact that the camera moved we got lens flares lens uh, flare. <laughs> yeah the light the lighting was very different now when you're reading these comics there's there's a trick that you know I'm looking at a couple of pages here where mm-hmm. there's quite literally light shining in the lens for lack of a better term of the camera yeah. yeah and giving us that vibe like visually how do you feel that these three issues of Star Trek Discovery Aftermath how do you feel that did they did they capture the visual feeling of Star Trek well uh, I mean the opening ones right now where they're dealing uh, with uh, Kronos, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Kronos, Kronos, no R, Kronos. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, just the the simple red light through the clouds. Yeah. Um, I mean, light and an angle. I mean, that. let's be honest. I mean, they're drawing these things in almost a cinematic way that you would probably enjoy seeing them on TV. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Not not only is that is that cool to look at, and I feel like it adds much more depth than than some comics I've seen before. But it's also that thing that it helps to uh, to keep it tethered mm. to the show as well, so you don't feel too far removed. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I noticed once uh, once it gets to Laurel having a back and forth with Pike. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of blue. There's a lot of blue and blue light. Yeah. Um, and if you go a little bit further, we see, you know, once, um, you know, the story follows Pike as he's on the bridge of the Enterprise, there's yeah. even more blue. But then it cuts to a flashback. And yeah. that flashback has that sepia tone to really kind of, I mean, it that first page of that flashback, top left corner says Vulcan before. Yeah. So I was just kind of like, man, you you really didn't even need that. Like I get, I get that there is, that there is a difference. There is a difference here. You know, yeah. we've gone from a lot of blue light and a lot of dramatic angles to actually uh, some, uh, some tighter shots of some faces, the sepia tone, 
really kind of uh, sells that it is a flashback. Yeah. And we get to see young Spock and young Michael interacting uh, with each other. And then, of course, we jump back to the present Which was cool. Yeah. I I really enjoyed that. Yeah. It's a lot of fun because, in fact, that scene uh, is very reminiscent of some of the early scenes in uh, J.J. Abrams' 2009 Star Trek, which is kind of fun because Michael wasn't a part of that narrative. But in this, she is. Uh, and then, of course, we jump back into uh, present day with, uh, you know, Spock there in the cave and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, he gets some interactions with Amanda and really he's really starting to come back to himself and yeah. come back and be present in the present. Um, you know, let's talk about uh, some of the things here with, uh, you know, we get the character of Kor, uh, who's a Klingon and makes uh, a big uh, makes his presence very well known yes. in in the original series. How was it seeing a younger core in this and us kind of getting our first glimpse of besides the Enterprise and her crew, right. something something outside of Starfleet appearing in a new Trek narrative? How, how did you feel about how they used core here? uh remember i was talking about layers Mm, yeah (laughs) they're they're introducing (laughs) layers in this um you know it's 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 cool because you know you're seeing somebody who uh you know obviously has aspirations and is is willing to to step back enough to see where the pieces are on the board and then be like all right well this is where i need to be right now um it's cool to see uh, the, the the mind at work like that, who is not necessarily at the top. Yeah. And so the, it, it sets, it sets those, I don't know, the inner machinations that you, that, that you, you want to see play off later. And I oh, love that. Yeah. yeah I, you know, um, you know, for as, uh, you know, more recently, uh, Star Trek enterprise has been getting a lot of love. Of course, it's been getting some love on strange new worlds and, oh, yeah. uh, and, and throughout, throughout the franchise you you hear little little bits here and there of you know um sending enterprise uh some love but one of the things that um uh, that i thought was uh really fascinating was the fact that in season four of enterprise is where manny Cotto really made those steps to tr- to tie enterprise to the rest of the franchise yeah and so I feel like this would probably be one of Manny Cotto's favorite uh, comics. Uh, you know, like that. Ma- Manny like Cotto, that rest, yeah, Manny Cotto, rest in peace. I feel like this uh, really uh, would have been right up your alley. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, but one of the things, uh, you know, reading this story that deals very heavily with politics and mm. the. Uh, the Klingon Empire, which, for lack of a better term, is a uh, society-wide military. Yeah. Um. I I was I kept thinking about like Aaron Sorkin's The West Wing, and I kept thinking about uh you know Tom Clancy okay. and stuff like that. Of like it's political intrigue, but there's also action elements as well. I guess that leans more towards Tom Clancy yeah. type stuff. But like, well, um, at times. Sometimes yeah. Tom just went straight in for the action, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> but I mean, you know, good good Trek does that too. Yeah, I was going to say outside of 
did did this give you vibes of any other uh intellectual properties like outside of trek uh i mean i can't help but be reminded of marvel uh, especially around the Black, Black Panther area when that was being released, because you know it was uh, around the Civil War uh, arc, both oh, yeah. in com- both in comic books and movies. This is one thing that they did really well, and that is when shit hit the fan really quickly and people had to react. Yeah. So uh, when that uh, that explosion, you know, happened and uh, everybody's scrambling and whatnot, and it was uh, oh god, uh, who who was that? Who was standing there at the time? Basically, the the window explodes behind him, and I was yeah. like, and I was I was reminded very much of uh, the Black Panther when uh, 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 the, the yeah, where yeah. where his father was standing yeah. there and everything. Chaka, yeah, 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 Chaka. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Horrible with names. Good for you. Uh, yeah, it's, I, you know, <laughs> the fact that I was able to pull those out, I'm, I'm kind of proud of myself. Honestly. <laughs> but, you know, Marvel's done that, done that too. Sometimes less, sometimes they go for the, the movement, the shock and all the, the fight scenes that you can't make sense of, you know, depending mm-hmm. on who's ever directing them. It's all just quick movements and angles, but one of the good things about what I felt Black Panther was is it showed not just what was, you know, going down in the fight between uh, 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 Death uh, Killmonger and uh, the the discord that he was bringing, but it also showed what was going on in the rest of the world. And, yeah. and then, and then, you know, if you think about it, we're talking, which is one of the things that's always awed me about uh, Star Trek is that we're not just talking about a world's political climate which they will address yeah but it's so much part it's so much of a, of a bigger network which uh i i try to pull from that kind of sense uh in the the the, the sci-fi book that i want to write um yeah. so uh i don't know yeah. you might see some borrowed elements there <laughs> yeah you know the political discourse uh of a people uh like you said here is is so much richer uh, and I, I feel like that's kind of a, you know, from my, from my experience in service in law enforcement, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, they drill into your brain at the academy of like, hey, there's no such thing as a typical traffic stop or stuff right. like that. But that the idea, the broader idea is that it's not that simple. Nothing, nothing really is. And that's true. You know, when you're Players. talking about, yeah, when you're talking about a planet's political discourse and our planet is going through uh, gosh it seems to be at the time of this recording there's a bunch of stuff going down yeah yeah um but again it's kind of you know this country that country uh you know and all this stuff but you know star uh star trek challenges us to look even even wider of how how is this affecting this entire planet and then you know in terms of star trek is like and then how is that planet af- affecting other planets? Yeah. Uh, earlier this year, we, you know, they finally confirmed like, yeah, aliens are real. And it <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the level of apathy. Yeah. Of the human like, race like, was, we, was we've got too much comical. going on right here. We're, we'll, we'll pay attention to that later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's I think Star Trek continues to challenge folks of you know, yes, this, all, all of these things are very important. Um, Mm. but at the end of the day, you know, that, that idea from Gandhi of, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. So, you know, so 
I, I have a couple friends who are activists, uh, you know, who are doing things in Australia and, you know, there's, there's stuff going on here in the States. There's stuff happening overseas, uh, right now, you know, yeah. in, in the middle East. And, uh, it's all, uh, it can be terrifying. Um, it can be heartbreaking, all of these things, but you know, the, the planet will spin one full time and tomorrow's a new day. And yeah. how, how can we, how can we make, how can, how can we make this, this better? Okay. I feel, I feel like I'm digressing into a more political <laughs> discussion than I really wanted to. A little uh, philosophical, a little philosophical too, if I could get bit, that word out a little bit. Uh, but yeah, you know, going back in, you know, you mentioned, um, I, the, the two big companies, uh, Marvel and DC, mm-hmm. You know, when they put out their stuff, if you're looking at it at a surface level, DC has always been more uh, mythology. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, and things that, uh, you know, the the ancient tropes of storytelling. You had adventure, which was personified in Superman. You had detective. You had mystery stories, which were personified in Batman. Batman, you had, right. You had uh, mythology, which was, you know, personified in Wonder Woman. And yep. you can go on down the line. Marvel, on the other hand, was sort of created. Um, it, it had more of a slant towards how is this affecting the real world? Yeah. You know, Spider-Man lives in New York City. I'm I'm going back to New York City tomorrow. I and know. one of the things I'm concerned about is it is incredibly expensive. Spider-Man's concerned with that too. Like oh, one of the one the, of the, greatest... the money struggle has always been real with him. Yeah, my, yeah. My favorite it, comic pa- uh, panel that I see it all the time because it's so relatable is Tony in his armor, uh, Spidey in his suit, and he just goes, "We have money," and. <laughs> Peter just puts his head on Tony's chest and goes, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, all that to say, like the 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 issues that are presented in Marvel have always felt more relatable. Down close to, to home. Definitely. Yeah. Hit yeah. Very hit very close to home. Um, you know, and I feel like Star Trek kind of kind of walks that line with at this point in the franchise you have these larger than life figures that are almost of historical significance yeah. um in this fantastical world where you've got you know the green-skinned orions and the blue-skinned andorians <laughs> and you know people with antennas and people with uh you know mandibles and stuff like that and yeah but at the same time like on the flip side, it's a lot of diplomacy, you know, and a lot of things that ring true to what we're going through today. Uh, How do you think Star Trek comics have set themselves apart? And what's the, what's the longevity here? What's the, what's the end game? And I guess this goes beyond the comics to more the franchise in general. Like, how do you feel about Star Trek's enduring legacy? Uh, so there's a, a a conversation that I had with my friend um, uh, Michael Peak, um, and I call him Tony in my book just to because there's another Michael and my name's Michael. Throwing three Michaels in a book just seemed problematic. 
Yeah. <laughs> but I had a, uh, I had a conversation with them and I asked this question of everybody that I talked to, cause I wanted to have kind of like similar conversations. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, if you were to stack, uh, D and D star Wars and star Trek as a franchise, uh, one, two, three, where would you put them? And Tony dug deep. Uh, he, I had to cut so many words. He's such a long talker. Uh, kind of like I am. I'm just drawing this on. I was um, gonna say I know the type. <laughs> I'm one of those too. <laughs> so uh, basically, what he said is, um, Star Trek uh, is has been and always will be a mirror for where we are. Yep. It's it it's set in the future. Sure, we got all of these cool technologies, which some of them are like showing up now, being able to see our each other's faces like this was unheard of 20 years ago. Um, and the political, uh, problems that happen in between either different planets or different factions within a planet, uh, you know, like I said, there's layers in the Klingon, uh, uh, political system that they're always warring against each other. You know, we feel that because we see that, you know, we may not be, you know, political science majors. Not all of us are sitting there hitting the books and getting involved in everything, but, now with social media, we see all of this stuff happening and it becomes very real with just the right amount of lens flare and gloss for us to go, this is the future as well. Yeah. And so it's because it's a mirror and it's not a distraction mm-hmm. that something like this, even though like, let's face it, like what, three fifths of this comic were about conversations of what a political action would take or how their emotions are going to be. You know, there's, there's no, there's no superheroes flying around per se, but you know, each one in there had their, their own reason and and their, and then again, a unified reason for being in that same room. Yeah. So a story like that, dude, that if, if more people got more stories like that, Mm know and and understood it and felt it in the way that some you know trekkies feel every time they turn on a tv or if they're flipping a page yeah. you know maybe maybe there'd be it, it would be even a closer mirror than we think than one that's you know slightly askance yeah exactly so yeah we've uh we've talked about a lot of the things going on uh, mostly with these characters we are following these characters stories and although the production team on a comic book is a fraction of the size of the production team of a television show or movie. Uh, The question is still relevant as we do every episode. We ask the question, who do we blame now? uh, Star Trek discovery aftermath was written by Kirsten Beyer, who we've mentioned her many, many times on the show. (laughs) Keeps coming Uh, up. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's a wonderful writer uh, with, uh, Star Trek credits, you know, she's she's up to her hips in Star Trek credits. Uh, <laughs> a wonderful, wonderful career. Hope she uh, continues to write wonderful stories for the franchise. Uh, but yes, she she wrote this along with Mike Johnson. Now, um, Kirsten's last work in the franchise was actually season two, episode five of Discovery, which is the Saints of Imperfection, which mm. we discussed with Star Trek drag queen flip kiki back over the summer and uh mike johnson is the other writer now he's had uh quite an extensive uh resume as well so i'll hit a couple of the highlights here one of the earliest things that i found was he did 19 issues of dc's superman batman series that was in 2003 
then he got on with IDW doing Star Trek Countdown. That was in 2009. That was the that was like the prequel to J.J. Abrams first. Movie. OK, and it's it's pretty great because it's basically from Spock's end before he goes through the black hole and you get to see an older wharf, an older data, an older Picard. Wow. Uh, I don't I don't want to spoil it, but there's some really great stuff, some really cool little Easter eggs, even the even some tidbits regarding that spaceship, that weird squid yeah. looking spaceship that he flies. There's stuff with that as well. I mean, it is a really cool series. I highly recommend it. So you're just adding to my uh, read list right now. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after that, he would do uh, Star Trek Nero, which, of course, goes along with that first J.J. Sure. Uh, Abrams film. There were four issues there. And then he did 59 issues of Star Trek 2011. This was the ongoing wow. series. Yeah, they uh, IDW relaunched the ongoing series and it was basically if the jj abram the kelvin timeline crew it's the continuing adventures of that crew and okay. so there were a lot of like oh this issue is kind of like this episode from the original series and this episode's like this one and there's there's tons of that and when we get when the computer resume podcast gets to those episodes and tos you better believe we're going to be referencing some of these books. Um, but yeah, he did 59 issues. That's one through 17 and then 19 through 60. And in this run with IDW is where he did some work with Star Trek Discovery Aftermath's penciler, Tony Shastin. Uh, So after this, Mike Johnson did uh, an issue of Dynamite Entertainment's Warehouse 13. Did you ever watch Warehouse 13? Uh, it's actually been relatively recent. Uh, really? My, yeah, my wife had watched it when it first came out. She only called a couple of episodes. Uh-huh. And then uh, it came out, I think, in its entirety in Hulu. Oh. And and so she was like, I used to watch this. You want to watch this with me? And then, uh, dude, it was, it's, <laughs> that show's great. It's like, a great and, show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> with, with all of its, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's sci-fi campiness at times, you know, it, it, it was right up there with like, it felt like a less serious fringe. If you've seen yeah. French. Yes, and, I have. Yeah. But, but less serious in a way that it still had its deadly situations. It, it was great. I, I could, I could waylay this conversation for that, but it was great. Yeah. For, for anybody who's not familiar with warehouse 13, the elevator pitch for it is remember that scene at the end of Raiders of the lost Ark, where the Ark is in a crate and you see it going into this massive warehouse. Well, what's it like to work at that warehouse? And that is warehouse 13. <laughs> Who are the it's, top men? Yes, the top <laughs> men. <laughs> well, uh, Mike Johnson went on to write uh, 17 issues of DC's Supergirl from 2011 and 2012. Then uh, some more Star Trek credits. He did Countdown to Darkness, uh, which was leading up to, of course, the second uh, film in the Kelvin timeline. Mm. And as well, Star Trek Con. There was a five-issue miniseries uh, focusing okay. on Con. Com- Cumberbatch is um, Con? Yes, yes, ah. which I'm a big fan of. Like, don't get me wrong, Ricardo Montalban turns sure. out an epic performance, a very iconic performance. Of course. But in terms of am I scared of this person, I, there's 
Benedict Cumberbatch's con has yeah. some scary dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. It's I, you know, and then we'll get back into it. But when he was like, well, let's go over it. I will talk. I will target your life support systems. Your people need air. Mine do not. I will walk over your cold corpses. Yeah. Like, Oh my it, God. Yeah. It was, it was just, this, this wasn't hyperbole for him. This was just the list of his grocery list. Yeah. When he set yeah. out for this, he's like, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to uh, die. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, Mike Johnson would also do issues one through six of the Star Trek Green Lantern crossover. So oh. fans of DC. Uh, yeah, there's there's that. And then uh, he did issue one of Dark Horses eight and then a bunch more Star Trek credits. Uh, Starfleet Academy, Manifest Destiny, Boldly Go, Discovery, Succession. And then here's here's the uh, the other Star Trek crossover that I have not pulled the trigger on yet, but I'm dying to because uh, well I'll I'll say it here and just um, it's Star Trek versus Transformers from 2018. The reason this sticks out to me is uh. because the Star Trek crew in this book is uh. the is the crew from the animated series, so you get Emrys. And Eric's as part of the away team, like that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Which tr- and, okay, which Transformers are we? Are we talking about original animated Transformers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, okay. And, and they maintain that style. Like it looks, it looks like those characters just dropped onto the page. It, that's it's that's wild. Really fun. Um, and then of course, uh, Star Trek Discovery Captain Saru from 2019. That was a uh, a one issue, uh, one off for Mike Johnson. And this leads me to my apologies to my listeners and anyone who happens to be a fan of this show. Yes, Star Trek Discovery Captain Saru actually takes place between season one and season two of Discovery, and I missed it. That that's that's I had no idea. I had no idea. And there's so much out there. There's only so much I can do. It's just me, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. But trust me, trust me, we will get to it. We will discuss Captain Saru uh eventually <laughs> sometime down the line. And it will it's... be it will be numbered appropriately in the uh in the list of episodes of computer resume podcast. good because it was a good read i'd love to see what other people thought of it too it, so. it is a really good read yeah it's it's really it's really dope i like it uh and then uh just before this mike johnson also penned blade runner 2019 uh, oh. which came out in 2019 of course and uh there was 12 issues there that he worked on uh, how do you feel about the the Blade Runner franchise? It used to just be the one-off movie, but now we've got the sequel and there were a couple of comic series. How do you feel about Blade Runner as a franchise? The Blade Runner, the original one, passed me by. It, uh, it just did. Um, yeah. When it, when it came to uh, the, the stuff that uh, I would watch with my mom, mm-hmm. um, because, I mean, it's being – she was a huge part of the reason why I – enjoy the geeky stuff that i do yeah uh it was star trek star wars um disney movies uh blade runner i guess maybe was just uh, a little too dark and dystopian maybe she maybe she didn't or maybe she didn't even know about it i don't know yeah um but uh i have it in my watch list so because 
all this stuff did came up, you know, the, the, the sequel came out and everything else. And I've been waiting for a time to watch it. And then other things always come up. So right now I'm living basically vicariously through anybody who mentions it online. Like I've, I've seen so much of it through clips online. I know what's going on. I just need to sit down and watch the whole damn thing. Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's fun uh, for me because the original Blade Runner, uh, first of all, if you love Harrison Ford, like it's, it's great. It's vintage Harrison Ford. It's, it's wonderful. Um, But a lot of people hear like the sci-fi elements and it's starring Harrison Ford. And I think the thought process is like, oh, it's going to be, very star warsy yeah and it's, and it's not it it's is not. this is this is the sci-fi movie where you put the kids to bed and then you watch blade runner like yeah. it is it is dark it is very um it is very noir that's um, that, that's what i've gotten the feel of it for the little yeah. bit that i've been able to see yeah it's kind of uh you know some some longer shots you know it can it can almost it can almost hypnotize you a little bit or like lull you to sleep as it were. Um, The action in it is sparse, but important. And uh, you know, we watch, you know, Harrison Ford's character who's of course the central figure, um, you know, go through a lot of different things uh, in his, um, in his function as a blade runner in this dystopian future. But I think, you know, the sequel, which a lot of, I mean, gosh, they talked about a sequel as soon as the credits rolled <laughs> on the first one. Um, but then we we did finally get that. Uh, we did finally get that sequel with uh, Ryan Gosling. Yep. And a lot of people were like, oh, I don't know how this is going to play out. I, I, I like to consider myself a fairly harsh critic of mm-hmm. sci-fi. And it it is it is a true sequel. Like it watches... Like oh, this just happened years later in this okay. same in this same world. Like visually, uh, musically, uh, you know, production wise, all of this stuff, it is still there. And um, yeah, it's a really it's a really seamless transition from the first film to the sequel. And um, I haven't I haven't gotten into a lot of the comics, uh, but what I have read, I've enjoyed and. I also got Good. my hands on I got my hands on the uh the TTRPG of Blade Runner. And that is fascinating as well. Yeah. Uh, and I um, like I like detective noir TTRPGs because if they're written well, you're you're having you're you're having a good time uncovering things instead of just being thrown right in the middle of things. And I like that. Yeah, it's, like I'm, I'm waiting for the day where I can sit down with my with my home with my home group yeah. and say, okay, we're going to take a step outside the medieval setting and uh, <laughs> we're going to step into the distant future. <laughs> Everybody flip a coin to see if you're human or not. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, um, and then uh, after Blade Runner is when, uh, you know, Discovery Aftermath uh, would come up. Uh, Tony Shastine, uh, the pencilers, uh his his resume here uh starts off in 2006 with virgins devi i didn't realize that virgin had a comic book label i shouldn't be surprised about that but sure yeah uh tony uh tony shastine did issue 12 he did the pencils inks and colors for that 
then he worked on Conan. He worked on a couple of issues issues of Conan in 2004 and 2005. He did the DCU Halloween special in 2008. Uh, then uh, Xenoscopes, Tale from Wo- Tales from Wonderland, Queen of Hearts versus Mad Hatter. That was interesting. In 2010. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, then, uh, as uh, I mentioned earlier, this is kind of where he hooked up with uh, Mike Johnson on... Uh, on Star Trek, on the ongoing uh, Star Trek series there in 2011, uh, Tony would actually do 22 issues, uh, 35 through 40, 43 through 45, and 48 through 60, doing uh, pencils, inks, and colors uh, in different uh, combinations throughout those issues. And then uh, he would also go on to work on a couple of issues of the Star Trek Green Lantern crossover. He did uh, Star Trek Manifest Destiny. Uh, he also did 12 issues of Star Trek Boldly Go. And I think that's uh, before before this, before the aftermath, uh, before Discovery Aftermath. Uh, I think that was the last time that they worked together. Then uh, Tony would go on to do Star Trek Waypoint issue five. He did the cover for that. And then he also did Star Trek Next Gen Terra Incognita from 2018. Mm. Uh, he did all six covers, pencils and inks. Cool. For that series yeah uh but as of this recording this is his last work on uh star trek so uh, uh this one we just read uh yeah yeah okay so, tony we we loved your work man uh hope right you, hope you come back to star trek for some more <laughs> it was pretty great uh now for regular episodes here michael this is normally where i would say uh this is normally where i would ask the question is this essential viewing yeah. however this is a comic book. So let's say, is this essential reading? And I'll even take it a step further. Not only is this essential reading, but does this, these three issues, Star Trek Discovery Aftermath, does this feel like Star Trek? Okay. Uh, first of all, I just want to ask, uh, because I've been burnt by books in the middle of video uh, movies and shows before. Mm-hmm. Is this canon? I from from my discussion with Heather Antos, mm-hmm. they they are making every effort to get this as close to canon as possible. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I feel good about that. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't <laughs> want to revisit the uh, the Star Wars uh, uh, literary universe that just got completely erased by the uh, sequels. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but so uh, let's bring it back. Uh, is it essential? Absolutely, because it does feel like Star Trek. Between, like we mentioned, uh, the the drawn in light, you know, the the art itself uh, bringing you in. It's not. They could have easily kept the angles like nice and nice and flat, you know, just showing just a scene, scene, scene. But but they didn't. They used the page. Yeah, it's like uh, New Trek tried to use all the screen. Oh yeah. Um, and the interaction between the characters, it feels very much like the way that the actors have established themselves on screen. Yeah. Um, and I think it can be, you know, it can be completely uh, due to, oh, hold on, let's see, uh, due to uh, Kirsten Bear's yeah, influence, the, the yeah. fact that, that that was brought in. It was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like coming home. It was like, I never left. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I I, I would absolutely agree. Um, is this uh, you know is this essential? 
I, I think it depends on what you really value in Star yeah. Trek in terms of narrative. You know, I, I like I said earlier, I love what they did with Laurel. And I think she's a wonderfully complicated character. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, if nothing else, I think this is a really solid look at the struggle of being in a position of power, knowing what is right for your people and having to walk that line. Yeah. Um, the Sacrifices art- and all. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The artwork is stellar. Um, you know, it's hard to give it's hard to give a sense of movement to still images, but I think Tony does a great job of it here. Um, yeah. It really does. Every panel just draws you in. And yeah, they're not just static images. They do, like you said, uh, they follow suit with new Trek and they use every inch. They yeah. use every inch of that page to, to showcase this wonderful, wonderful art uh, and this story by uh, Kristen and Mike that, uh, you know, really just adds these wonderful layers to these characters that we already know. We we get besides Laurel, we get some wonderful interactions with Pike and Spock. Yeah. Like as great as that's been in Strange New Worlds, here it is on the page for you to just read over and over and just to to just uh, there there were their hands. words were being spoken in their voices. That's how yes, yeah, yes. In, in my head. I mean, there was there was I didn't have to force it at all. Yeah. And that was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, could you watch the end of Discovery season two and go right to Strange New Worlds? Sure. But why would you do that? Like, yeah, take take a, you know, take some time, take a lunch break, take a lunch break <laughs> and dive into uh, these three issues of Star Trek Discovery Aftermath from IDW. Uh, Mike, Michael, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to discuss these comics with me today. Hey, do you I have? Any parting thoughts before we go? Thoughts about um, Aftermath? Thoughts about Star Trek comics in general? Um, another wonderful appearance on the Computer Resume podcast. <laughs> uh, any parting thoughts before we start to wrap things up? Well, uh, I would say third time's the charm, but that would imply that the first two didn't go well. Uh, but <laughs> that's that's definitely not the case. Like, this is always a delight to be here. Um, and... You kind of just like reintroduced me into a medium of Star Trek that I kind of, you know, forgot, you know, um, as I'm looking at my bookcase right now, I'm also reminded I've got like six Star Trek novels uh, based off various uh, eras uh, of uh, after the uh, next generation. I got two Voyagers and, and something like that. And now I'm thinking I'm like. I forgot those existed. I need to get into that as well. So <laughs> for what is probably going to be a hiccup of, um, uh, of release when it comes to uh, movies and, and, and uh, TV shows due to writing and SAG-AFTRA and everything like that. Of course. It's, it's a wonderful way to, to get some new stuff without having to watch, uh, to get some, to get some Trek in me without having to watch reruns. So exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm digging the idea of, of finding some more comic books myself. So awesome. Awesome. Well, folks next week on October 30th, we will have our first of three interviews with some legendary Star Trek actors. I feel like telling you more 
but I'm not gonna. You're just gonna have to come back and see who I get to talk to <laughs> and all the wonderful things that uh, that they tell me about their lives and careers. Uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to diving into those and uh, releasing those so you guys can enjoy them as well. Michael. Didn't you have yes, a book? Didn't you have a book come out or something? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been keeping it mostly to myself. I don't really tell <laughs> a lot of people. Uh, just not really proud. No. Uh, yes. <laughs> God. Oh, I love it. Um, uh, th this copy right here. I'm trying not to handle it too much. It's actually one of the ones that are going to be going out to somebody. Uh, it's it's already signed and everything. Um, but uh. Yeah, I've 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 done some things with uh, my TikTok. If anybody uh, like subscribed onto my TikTok, they got a free signed book, and then I'm handing out signed books to all the people that helped me. So even if you have bought one, you're getting another one. Surprised. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was um, I, I I was going through this book while we were talking because I was trying to remind myself of the conversation that I had with Tony. Uh, about the difference between Star Trek, Star Wars, and D and D, and that and that's how the book starts, yeah. you know, because yeah. it's a memoir from yeah. age to five to twenty three, and I'd be remiss in telling that story if I didn't, you know, say what my influences were in getting into to various geekdoms and fan uh, fandoms and whatnot. Yeah, and you know, I. I, I felt like maybe at some times I was leaning a little too heavy into one and leaning too heavy into other, but I think by the end of it, it blended pretty well. The fact that uh, TTRPGs were something that I sought out uh, during my rough times in the military. Yeah. Uh, the fact that I was on the enterprise after having such a long and illustrious love affair with Star Trek. Um, and I even talk a little bit about Star Wars. Star Wars isn't, doesn't have that much in there except for one whole thing where I talk about the excitement of the prequels yes. and what that meant to our family. Yeah. Um, but it's been, it, it's been such a, a cool and an amazing journey just to, to revisit the times that I had with a lot of my friends. Cause three, three people are people that I grew up with. One of them being my ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And then two of them were uh, uh, shipmates that I had. And I didn't realize exactly how similar our stories were. Like I, when, when, when you're, when you're that far down into something, yeah. you don't think about other people being like depressed and having a hard time at the same mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And so I got to find out, it was like, oh yeah, they, they were, they were not liking life at that time either. Like yeah. <laughs> we were, we were all having a rough time and it's not, it's not because of the military, you know, it's not, it's not the military sucks. You know, nobody should be in it. The military is definitely of what you make it. Yeah. Um, and that's the, one of the first things I want to tell people, like there's one, there's this one guy, he got mad at an ad I put out on Facebook and he's like, you, know, you should be talking down to the military. And I, I I'm not going to start a conversation with a stranger on the internet, but I did use that as a talking point to other people. It's like, and before anybody, you know, gets mad at saying, Hey, I'm downing the military. No, I'm downing my experience in the military. And if, but if it wasn't for the military, I wouldn't have had the experiences that I did. And some of them were fantastic and they're in there as well. Yeah. So it's a bunch of ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, such is life. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, well, uh, give us the title and where can people find your book? All right. I can do that. It is called Dink, spelled D-I-N-Q, uh, subtitled D&D &D, in the coffin hold of the USS Enterprise. 
And you can get it, uh, surprisingly, you can get it in barnesandnoble.com. They say there's a printed copy, but I haven't tried to get that one yet. But I do know the Nook works. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, and then Amazon, of course, it's got the Kindle. It's got the paperback. And then uh, this is not necessarily where people can buy it, but it's something cool that I found out. The One of the websites that I gave the book to, to put it on Nook, also mm-hmm. gave it to libraries that uh, give out like eBooks for like 35 cents a pop. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. So I may not see anything back from that, but just the fact that it's available in that, which is really cool. So, you know, amazon.com, you can just search for D-I-N-Q. Dink also means something else that I haven't looked up. So make sure you put Michael LeBlanc with it because it may not immediately show up. I think it's like something about porcelain cows or something. I'm, I'm not 100%. You know, language barriers being what they are. <laughs> Listen, it's just, you're just, a, you've just expanded your, you know, your pool of readers, you know, that's, you're, you're getting, you're getting your story into the hands of more people. Yeah. Your lips to Amazon's ears, man. I hear you. <laughs> uh, and where can people find you on the internet? Oh, sitting with you pretty much everywhere. Uh, uh, so sitting with you, all one word, no G. Um, available on TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, still holding on to Twitter until that eventually crashes and burns. <laughs> <laughs> and I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you in 10 Forward. Like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop. And our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn. And the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?